Welcome, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Trade Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. And what is Renegade Trade Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. St. Your Grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front. No smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where several times a week we have multiple different kinds of shows for you where hopefully we entertain you and perhaps even educate you. And I want to take a moment. If you haven't already, I'm not going to beat it up too much this week. Got a lot to do. Got five podcasts today. But if you haven't already, if you like the podcast, go rate and review on iTunes. I know it's annoying. Uh, and if you don't have an iPhone, if you can download the iTunes app to your computer, and I know that shit's annoying, uh, but this is one of the only ways we can tell and grow the podcast. A lot of this uh, really does count on rating and reviewing, and I appreciate it. Or do it from your iPad. I know it sucks. A ton of you have, which is awesome. I think we're up to 50. Been stuck at 50 for a while, though. But 50, if you think about it, for not marketing this podcast at all and just sharing it on social media, is pretty fucking great. It's, thank you, guys and gals. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Let's see if we can't get that up to 100, though. So if you haven't already, take the time. Go do it. Ton of you are sharing too, man. We're up to fifteen hundred weekly listeners. We're coming up on thirty thousand listens just today. So wow. Keep sharing. Thank you. And for everybody I missed the shares, it does happen. I knew I couldn't do it forever. And I know the problem's only gonna get worse, but thank you. I really do appreciate it and it really does help. All right. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to RenegadeDetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to Meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or Facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And, of course, you go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. All right, legal disclaimer. No way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests may be taking this legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions that you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. All right. Time for the Renegade Short Investor Show Quote of the Week where I pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I pulled it right out of the book. We're in the part three of the conversion code by Chris Smith, which this is a heavy book. I, I'm probably should not have chosen this one to read. Um, we're going to finish it anyway because I started it. That's a difficult read, I'm sure. I'm having a hard time reading it. And that's because it's just packed with so much information. Anyway, I pulled a quote out from page 85. It was just so simple, so straightforward, and why we do everything we do. And here's the quote by Chris Smith, page 85. Marketing feeds appointments. Appointments feed sales. Sales feed our children. Chris Smith. All right, folks. So we'll go ahead and pull out your book. We're on part three of the conversion code. Get your highlighter ready. We're going to rip and roar and tear through this. I might only do an hour and a half today. I'm not sure. I got a little bit of a late start. I apologize for that. Shit happens. So one of my problems is I, uh, I tend to overcommit myself at least twice a year. I'm trying to break that habit. But anyway, I've overcommitted myself the last couple of weeks and I'm feeling the pain and I'm bringing the heat. So I'm a little bit behind. We'll see if we do two hours or not. So page 85. Is everybody ready? Chapter six. Get a little sip of the coffee coffee, which, by the way, um, Gina got me. My wife got me some uh, 
um, some new coffee, uh, by the way, and I'm plugging in, but I don't get paid for it or anything else like that. But Todd Waller uh, turned us on to it. It's called Death Wish Coffee. It tastes like shit. I kind of mix it with Hazano's coffee by Frank, which is actually really great coffee. Uh, but man, this Death Wish, you, whoo, me, it's been a while. I'm not saying, uh, you know, but it's like doing a couple lines of Coke. I swear to God, it has so much caffeine in your heart, like immediately your blood pressure is up 20%, but you do all the things and you crush all the things. So putting that out there, let me take a little sippy sip so I can read really fast. All right. Page 85, chapter six, how to use CRM. SMS and marketing automation to immediately turn a new lead into a hot appointment. Internet lead generation and most of what I taught you in section one is relatively new because so many companies are still trying to crack the lead generation code that you just learned. They don't even realize that there is much more difficult and more important code to crack next the lead conversion code. The following data source move incorporated from the real estate vertical around the increase in volume of online leads between 2011 and 2014 sums up perfectly what is happening for every industry. There are more leads than ever to be had, but finding the needles in this new massive haystack will require a plan. In 2011, there were 2.9 million real estate leads generated online and 4.4 million home sales. By 2014, the number of leads skyrocketed to 40.6 million, while the home sales had only increased to 5.1 million. The entire purpose of this section is to help you clearly and quickly identify the best leads to call and use the script you'll be learn. You will soon learn in section three on marketing feeds appointments, appointments feed sales, sales feed our children, which that was the quote we just did. And I thought that set the tone quite well. The fortune is in the follow-up. Now that you have leads regularly coming in, the real work starts. Ensuring you create quality sales appointments on a consistent on-demand basis. In section two, I will teach you how to turn hot, new, and old, bad internet leads into appointments and show you how to use automation plus a person scheduler to turn new leads into instant appointments for my sales team. Closers. Technology will be a huge part of this, but having the right people in place matters even more. You need to decide before you proceed what boats you are in regarding resources. In a perfect world, you have someone dedicated to calling every new lead as quickly as humanly possible in an effort to schedule them quickly for a lengthier call with you with your real sales team. As soon as they say they want to speak further and they're interested, only then is the actual salesperson looped in. You can hot transfer the lead on the spot or book them for the near future. In the next section, I introduce 2020 sale. If you have what is sometimes called an ISA, inside sales associate on your team, they will basically be doing the equivalent of the first 20, gaining control, digging deep and qualifying and uncovering objections before transferring to a closer. Another way to use an ISA is to leverage them to call your old leads so that your higher commission salespeople don't have to get told no as often. When a salesperson can focus on selling while a scheduler focuses on appointments, you create a much better quality of life for everyone. Far too often, talented salespeople get a job thinking that their leads and appointments will be handed will be handled for them and all they have to do all they do is pitch only to learn later that they'll have to spend much of their time cold calling and prospecting the leads who would never buy right now, but might be willing to set up a semi-serious call if you cash them at the right time with the right script. 
Salespeople should be selling, not scheduling. If you are a scheduler and the salesperson, it gets tougher, but it is not impossible. In fact, when we started Curator, I was the marketer, the scheduler, scheduler, and the closer. I am guessing I'm not the only one who's had to wear more than one hat. And even though it was tough and I started losing my sanity, I got us a couple of million dollars in annual recurring revenue without any additional employees in marketing or sales. For additional insights into using this bridge role and the upside of not making your highest paid commission salesperson call leads and instead spend most of their time on pitching, check out Aaron Ross's great book, Predictable Revenue, where he shares how he grew his inside sales team at salesforce.com to $100 million a year using this same methodology. So that's Aaron Ross predictable revenue. If you're going to be selling, not marketing or scheduling, feel free to jump ahead to section three right now. But if you need a blueprint for turning new and old internet leads into quality appointments for you and your sales team, stay here and read on. Leads are meaningless if someone does not work them and follow up with them in a systemized, strategic, and repeatable way. It amazes me that people are willing to spend a small fortune on leads, but then don't hedge their bets and spend nearly as much time, money, and resources on converting them. If a takeaway from section one was that demand generation is greater than demand fulfillment, think of what you will learn in section two as appointment generation being greater than lead generation. Appointments get us one step closer to our real goal, closing sales. Section three. Speed plus tenacity plus script equals highest conversion rate possible. Because internet lead generation and conversion are so new, the best advice about lead conversion is typically built around speed to respond. See figure 6.3. And on being tenacious and the number of follow-up attempts you make. See figure 6.4. Bottom line, speed and tenacity, plus using the script in section 1 or section 3, what I call STS selling, is the only way to crack the conversion code. Just remember this quote and never forget it from Gaspar knows, hope I'm pronouncing that right, irreversible, irreversible when you think about lead follow-up. Time destroys all things. Your ability to convert an internet lead will be directly impacted by your ability to contact them fast. In fact, you have a hundred times better chance of turning a lead into a conversion in the first five minutes than you do just after 30 minutes. Plus, you can increase the percentage of leads you contact from 48% to 93% by calling them six times, not once. Don't call once the first day and again on day two. Call a minute one, call a minute 10, call a minute 30, call an hour three, day two as example. Meanwhile, the median time for a company that does not call back is three plus hours and 47% of companies never even respond yet we always blame the leads for being bad. It's also helpful to know that calling leads during certain hours and on certain days works best. See figure 6.5. The ideal time to call leads in order to convert them is between 8 and 10 a.m. and 4 and 6 p.m. Calling on Wednesday and Thursday gives you the best chance of reaching someone. This makes perfect sense. You can get someone on the phone before their day gets going or as it is winding down. You also have a much better chance of contacting someone during the middle of the week than you do on a Friday or or on a Monday or a Friday. Basically, when people are driving to and from work during the middle of the week is when you have the best best shot. But let's be honest. Ideally, 
Someone on your team is calling all day, every day. For those of you who simply cannot call leads all on time, be sure you use a scalpel when you schedule your call blocks. Sadly, I know a lot of salespeople who never start their day by 8 a.m. and are off the clock by 4. Beyond calling quickly and often, which you which you should set up reminders for in the form of an action plan applied to all new leads in any CRM, you must use automated emails and text messages to complement your quick calls in order to achieve the highest conversion rate possible. Text is greater than email. When I get a new lead through one of our landing pages that collects a phone number, I use an auto text with merge code that says, hi, lead first name. I got your information from blank. Can we talk now? We often get more replies to that text than we do opens of our first drip email. Why? Speed matters. So does personalization. Plus our inboxes are clogged when compared to our SMS messages. We use a CRM called follow-up boss that sends the text message for us and also sends our drip emails. But there are other tools out there like Twilio, Better Voice, SendHub that have some neat auto text as well as mass text features. Another way we use text to create appointments from our hot leads is by putting a dozen or two of them on one list and bulk texting them. If you send if you send to less than 25 at a time in SendHub, it doesn't make you include reply stop to opt out disclaimer asking if they have time for a call today. Hey, first name, it's Chris from Curator. Can you chat? It is all about is about all it takes to get a flood of responses when you do this. As long as you focus it on the hot leads who have been opening and clicking emails or visiting your website frequently. Using auto and bulk text messages to convert new and hot leads is one of the biggest untapped opportunities in lead conversion today. Emails that work. The fact that you call and text doesn't mean that you shouldn't also send automated email messages to your new leads as they come in. The first message is especially critical as it will get the most opens of any that you send. I can't believe how many companies waste this critical opportunity by sending something like, thanks for your inquiry, we'll be in touch. Am I actually supposed to be impressed by this or reply to that? Instead, craft initial drip emails that are more human. Ask for a reply and sound less canned, like, I just got your information from Zillow. Is now a good time for you to speak? Or, I appreciate you filling out that form on our website. I know it can sometimes be scary to do that. Is now a good time for you to speak? Don't think of your new lead drip emails as converters. Think of them as conversation starters. They'll ultimately lead to conversions. More quickly, anyways, because conversations are what create closes, not drip emails. Beyond the first message, come up with several more that you sequence and space out strategically. When I get a new lead, I send them an automated email on days one and two, and then again on days three and four and seven. This is four follow-up emails in the first week compared to most companies who never even follow up once. And because the emails I send are so simple and human, humans often respond to them. Imagine that. There's no better feeling than getting a lead and a reply from them to your first automated email. Sadly, there's no perfect sequence or spacing, but keep in mind that every day and week that passes will lower your open and click-through rates with a lead. In fact, because email open rates drop off so dramatically over time, you will learn in the next chapter that I actually do not send any drips or automated emails to leads after the six-month mark. Everything from that point on is freshly crafted and real-time. That's interesting. I didn't know that. 
Another solid message to add through your new lead campaigns or to send to all your old leads all at once is just checking in email. This one crushes it for us. Checking in. I was just checking in to see if you need anything from me today. That's it. I'm not kidding. I've spent hours and hours on longer, well-written emails that try to impress leads. They never do better than this bite-sized conversion starting approach, conversation starting approach. Pro tip. If you do have names or other data for your leads, make sure you use merge codes. You can even put merge codes in subject lines and text messages so that even though they are automated, they feel personal. As an example, if a real estate agent got a home value request that included an address, they could merge that field into their reply so it read subject home value for address. Or even if you have just a first name, you can send things like, Chris, check out these new listings. The data shows us that using this personalization can cause dramatic increases in open clicks and replies. By bursting your calls, texts, and emails closely together, you will contact leads at the highest rate possible. Think of the phone, email, and text as a team, not individual players. The nice thing is you can automate both email and text messages. If you're going to call, you should also text them if they don't pick up. I do that too. That's what Joe says. Call um, text email. If you're going to call, you should also text them if they don't pick up or after you send an email, text them to let them know it is in their inbox. Or as you'll learn in the next chapter, after sending mass emails, pick up the phone and call the ones who are most engaged with it. In a perfect world, you could call every lead that came in right away. They would pick up. You would close them. But we live far from a perfect world. So focus on speed, tenacity, and using multiple channels of follow-up. Plus the script you'll learn in section three when they do answer the phone to ensure they are converting at the highest percentage internet leads you possibly can. Chapter seven, need more appointments, how to use email marketing, retargeting, and user tracking to turn old leads into quality appointments. Everyone thinks the cure to the online ailment is more leads that if somehow you could just continue to add leads to the top of the funnel, the middle appointments and the bottom sales will work themselves out somehow. Good luck with that. You need as much purpose and strategy, if not more so to turn an internet lead into an appointment as you do capturing them in the first place. Here's the good news. Old leads buy things too. I promise. In fact, I can take just about any email list, like the one you probably already have or the one you know how to grow quickly after reading section one and get a few appointments and sales immediately. It isn't their fault you didn't convert them yet. It's yours. After you read what is in this chapter, there will be no excuses left for letting hundreds or thousands of leads die a slow death when there is a proven way to resuscitate them. Don't trip over nickels, leads you already have, just to pick up pennies, more new leads, If you already have old internet leads, including at least their email addresses who never responded to your past attempts or lack thereof, you can create appointments in mass with smart mass emails. In fact, I'm about to share an email that you can send today to all your old leads at once that will almost certainly and instantly resurrect some for you and turn them into quality appointments. But you have to make a deal with me first. You have to promise you will not use any type of HTML email template When you send this email, the design should just be plain old email like you would send to a friend or colleague using Gmail or your phone. I don't mind if you use some type of email signature that looks nice. You just cannot use highly stylized template for this email, period. Better yet, 
If you want to crack the conversion code, you have to commit to not sending mass emails to people that look like an ad the second they open them. This designless email ideology even applies to your automated drip emails covered in a previous chapter. They'll be sending to new leads as they come in. Remember the study that taught us people have eight second attention spans? Well, it takes me only one second to look at an email in my inbox and mentally dismiss it as an ad, ensuring I never reply simply due to the formatting. How about you? I am not against having some well thought out, nice images or links or even a nice email signature with your logo in it when you send a mass email. But I am against gaudy email templates that look like the latest target ad repelling conversations about more, sorry, target ad repelling conversations much more successfully than than they start them. Conversations create clients and no one wants to have a conversation with your ugly ass monthly email newsletter. You might think that after spending so much time in chapter one on the importance of design, I am a hypocrite for not suggesting here that you build a beautifully designed email template to use. I'm not. In chapter one, I was talking about building trust with strangers who are visiting your website. Now I'm talking about building trust with people you have captured and are already on your email list. Emails are not best used as many billboards for your sites. There is a better way. So with that being said, here is the email that you can send today to all your internet leads in an effort to create some appointments. I would really appreciate if you would email me, chris at curator.com if this works for you. Subject line, quick question. Body, are you still looking to buy? Insert what you sell here. Signed, you. That is the entire email. I'm not kidding. I hope you weren't waiting for anything groundbreaking or Shakespearean. This will work better than what you have been sending for a million reasons. But it works mostly because... It doesn't waste the lead's time, and it gives them a huge out if they want it. We tend to write more when we don't know what to say. Most people write their emails according to the famous passage. I've only made this letter longer because I have not had the time to make it shorter. Written by Blaise Pascal in 1657 and often misattributed to Mark Twain. Literally, the only thing you can change before you send it is the insert what you sell here to what you sell and the word buy, but only if it makes sense to write sign up for or hire based on your business model. If it were I sending it, I would write, are you still looking to sign up for curator? If I was a mortgage banker selling loans, it would say, are you still looking to refinance? If I owned a catering company, it would say, are you looking for a caterer? Another top performing cold lead email we send in a similar vein simply has the subject line checking in with a body consisting of, I want to check in and see if you needed anything from me today. But seriously, you must resist the temptation to ask more. Resist, sorry. You must resist the temptation to add more. I know it is hard. I know you want to turn the corner and be all like, are you still looking to sign up for Curator? Our clients love us. Our software is amazing and Incorporated just featured us. We would love to speak with you about helping you grow your business through Facebook ads, email marketing, and marketing automation. Don't. This less is more approach in an effort to convert leads may have actually been invented in 2009 by a marketer named Dean Jackson who talked about the nine-word email. Dean recommended a subject line that uses the lead's first name like, Hey Lisa, or even just their first name as a subject line like Bob. If you send this email one at a time, adding the name is a no-brainer. 
Sadly, though, I find that even the people who do have big email lists still do not always have names for all of them. If you do have a list with with name and email, you can use a merger code for the first name in the subject line to accomplish the Hey Lisa personalization at scale. I am sure you are already worrying about the fact that you will also hear a lot of no and reply to this email. Don't let this bother you. Find pleasure in this. Plus, sending people follow-up emails when they admittedly no longer want them or are point-blank telling you they're not going to buy just doesn't make any sense. If people do not want to buy what you sell and are willing to take the time to reply and tell you so, this is an ambulance you shouldn't chase anyway. If I burn a few old leads with this approach, but I get a dozens of ye- but I get dozens of yes I am, I'm glad you reached out replies from a bunch of internet leads I thought were dead to begin with. This is a trade-off I'm willing to make, especially knowing that getting more leads is very easy. There is no longer an old lead bucket. Beyond this one-time jolt to your list that you can also repeat semi-regularly as old leads piled up, you should treat the content you send through email to your old leads each month like gold. If you want it to become currency, I have a no-drip policy when it comes to leads that are older than six months. When the initial marketing automated automation campaigns I covered in chapter six have run their course, instead of pre-writing canned emails months or even years in advance and putting your leads on a long-term email campaign, commit to spending a minimum of a few hours each month researching, writing, and sending real-time emails. I even had a simple method you can use for finding ideas for fresher emails to send out each month. I use buzzsumo.com to do some research by keyword, source, or topic, which will show me the most socially shared articles online that match my query. As an example, one month we were researching an email that we draft for our real estate customers to send to their databases. Through buzzsumo, I found that an article about the she sheds was at the top when I searched real estate. The article had been shared millions of times on Facebook, even though I was unfamiliar with the term. The massive social shares also made me feel good about using the source. I was guessing if she got an email out quickly, we'd be able to do the first bring she shed, the female equivalent of a man cave into people's consciousness, causing a reaction in the form of replies to our clients who sent the email for. I was right. The email was a huge hit. Our clients got a ton of responses, many of which started with, I want a she shed. By the way, we need to sell our house. Let's talk. We also very soon thereafter started seeing segments about she sheds on the national news and being covered in mainstream media. You don't have to send boring vanilla messages about what you sell just because you are marketing to leads. By finding topics and tidbits that are relevant and related to what you sell, not just transferring your sales pitch into an email campaign, you can craft follow-up emails and actually read and look uh, people actually read and look forward to. Your open rate, click-through rate, unsubscribe rate, and reply rate will all thank you. Each time I research, compose, and send my mass emails, I make sure they fall into one or more of three simple buckets. Educational. Will the recipient learn something useful and want to thank me by replying? Entertaining. Will the recipient smile and want to thank me by replying? Conversational, will the recipient want to continue the conversation? I start by replying. As I have said before, and I will say again, conversations create customers. I often look through the past email campaigns that companies have been sending before they hire me. 
the most common mistake I see is a lack of question marks at the end of the messages. Although many of the leads you send emails to not will not reply no matter what you send, without asking specific questions to close out your messages, you aren't even giving yourself or them a fair chance. You don't have to be spammy. Just make it conversational. In the example that she sheds email, we simply ask to close out the email. I think I actually want one of these. Do you? We knew that guys would not be able to resist um, answering if they wanted a she shed. And we were pretty sure the ladies on the list would more or less reply, hell yes, I want one. Our instincts were right on both accounts. But without the question mark, the volume of replies would have been a fraction of what it was, regardless of the email's quality. This is the same ideology we apply to our new lead follow-up emails as well. Clever question. Another great way, great way to find content for your emails is your blog. If you are regularly creating content, mass emailing the best of it to your list with links back to your posts or videos or podcasts can allow you to increase the frequency at which you send. I am often asked how I am often asked how often it is too often to send emails. Boy, I say that one three times fast. The answer really lies in quality. If you publish an amazing, insightful new post, you should want as many people as possible to read it. If an article is average, be willing to be self-aware about that and not email it out. Just like you wouldn't write an email about everything you found in BuzzSumo, only the best and most shared. Treat your own content the same way. Just never forget that your email list can be some of your first and most frequent readers. Pro tip. While you do not want to schedule emails months in advance, you should set reminders for yourself in your calendar right now so you do not forget your email marketing or lead follow-up call days. We all start with the best intentions. You are probably going to want to execute a couple of these ideas I've given you immediately, but you will execute week in and week out or at least month in and month out long-term without a nudge. One nice thing is that when you send emails like the ones I am suggesting, they work, which means time, which makes time blocking doing them much more fun to do so. Now that we have a quick blast email template and a long-term email strategy under your belt for your old internet leads, I want to share with you two things I am confident you are not doing yet that when combined with the email ideas I just detailed, will take your lead conversions to new heights. Side note, I really hate when people tell me what they're going to tell me. Why don't you just fucking tell me? All right, I need a, more coffee. I'm going to waste all this space and time telling you what I'm going to tell. Pick up the damn phone. Simply sending out emails with no additional phone calls to follow up is not going to help you crack the conversion code. Here's the good news. No matter if you use MailChimp, AWeber, Constant Contact, or any of the other countless mass email marketing tools, they all provide at least the basics you will need of who opened and who clicked in your emails. Let's say you send out your clever little monthly or weekly blast email on Tuesday at 2 p.m. local time. You should have the rest of Tuesday and the first half of Wednesday blocked off to call every single lead who opens and uses a script you will learn soon in Section 3. Now, if you have tons of leads and they're all hundreds or even thousands of people opening your emails, making it impossible to call them all, then switch your sites to the leads who opened and clicked. As I mentioned before, the average email click-through rates are often under 5%. So that means for every 1,000 leads you send, only 50 are clicking. 
a very manageable number. Even if you had 5,000 leads, it would only be 250 people to call, which a good inside salesperson could do in two or three days. Also, the larger the list, the larger the list of people who open and click your emails more than once. Be sure to sort your list by those who open your email or clicked it the most times. I am always amazed at how people open an email two, five, or even 10 times. When they do, I pounce. You will be amazed at how much easier it is to call old internet leads when you know they were recently engaged and how much better and confident your conversations can be when you have the insight as a salesperson. Think of these hand raiser leads begging for you to call them and answer your questions about what you sell. The best salespeople treat an old internet lead like the, with the same enthusiasm they treat a new one, given a good enough reason to. I couldn't care less if I got a lead in my funnel 14 or four months ago. If I sent them an email with the subject line, save $500 on curator or Facebook tips for top producing real estate agents, and they opened it a few minutes ago, I'm calling their ass. User tracking. Another way to use a lead's behavior to identify whether it is worth calling them is to install user tracking software on your site and or landing pages. Tools like Woopra, Mixpanel, or Intercom can help you identify who from your database is visiting your website, exactly which pages they looked at, and how long they stayed. Plus, you and the lead can both get real-time alerts based upon the formula you predefine. It's like some 1984 shit, right? This means that not only could you call who opened or clicked at your emails, you could call those who clicked but then also stayed for more than five minutes and while they were there read about your about page and testimonials. I am so bullish on user tracking as a lead conversion sales tool that we have built it into our platform at Curator and are constantly trying to make it more useful. It is music to my ears when I call a lead and they start by saying, I'm actually on your website right now or watching your demo video, but I am guessing you already knew that. Wow, you guys are good. You can also trigger messages like little trap doors on your site so that when a lead comes back to your site or does X, they get an email Y because of it. Their behavior or lack thereof in your site could determine which email messages they get. As an example, you could set up a trigger and mix panel that if someone on your website visits your testimonials page and emails them a few more immediately, or if they watch a recorded webinar, it emails them an invite to the next live one. The possibilities truly are endless. Just grab a pen and paper, think critically about this, and write out the triggers and messages you want happening. Then get that loaded into the user tracking software so it can work over and over again as leads stumble into your traps. Have you ever been on Amazon, not actually bought something, and then conveniently moments later an email from Amazon with a product you checked out appears in your inbox? They're doing exactly what I just taught you. Technology has moved beyond simply reminding us to call because a week has passed or every lead getting the exact same message at the exact same time by email. You have to move beyond time and date-based follow-up and start thinking about behavior-based follow-up. When user tracking that triggers messages to you be sent with user, sorry, with user tracking that triggers messages to be sent, your website becomes like its own little choose your own adventure game for each lead. If someone is using the crap out of my website, there's a good chance they would want more emails from me too, or better yet, a call. The opposite is true as well. If someone has not used my site in a month, it might be time to trigger a nine word email. 
ads as a lead follow-up tool. As I covered in the chapter on Facebook, retargeting your database of leads with ads containing content, conversion, or closing marketing messages brings a new and impactful way to stay in front of internet leads beyond email, text, and phone calls. I cannot believe how many companies think that once they have a lead in their ad campaign, have a lead, their ad campaign work. The fact that a lead is in your CRM doesn't mean you should stop showing them ads. In fact, because you know they have already captured their email and they are in your database, you can get pretty creative with the ads you use. Don't be afraid to make a lead opt a lead opt in again for a new offer. Through your mass emails and your retargeting ads, in addition to driving them back to your website, you should also send some of them back to landing pages where registration is required again. I have leads in my database who bought from me after they opened in a dozen or more times in various offers before the one that worked, worked. This is why it is so important to treat old internet leads with the same black lab enthusiasm more typically reserved by salespeople only for a new lead. Pro tip, if you have user tracking alerting you to call a lead who returns to your website by clicking on retargeted Facebook ads or ads across the web or in a drip mass or triggered email, you can really start to see your efforts working in conversion code harmony. If they click, you call. If they return visit, you call. Everything I've covered in section one or two has been leading up to this moment. So far, I've taught you how to capture internet leads and create quality appointments. Now, it is time for me to teach you exactly what to say to an internet lead over the phone so you can close them at the highest possible rate. Part three, close more sales. Chapter eight. Need to know exactly what to say to a lead on the phone? How to have the perfect how to have a perfect first minute on a sales call with an internet lead. Every sale is won or lost before it's ever pitched. It is your job to immediately take control of every caller. In this chapter, I will teach you exactly what to say during the first minute of your call. There are two very specific things gaining control and ARPing that you must do at the beginning of every call if you want to close the sale at the end. Also, it is important to note that the conversion code does not involve cold calling. Cold calling is slow in 1980s. We are well into the 21st century, and during the past decade, people have willingly put most of their life's happenings online. If you are in sales, social media should make you salivate. The ability to hyper-personalize the sales call gives you an unfair advantage. These are internet leads you are calling and who at some point, ideally recently, willingly submitted their information and wanted to be contacted. Before you call, I will show you how to properly and legally stock an internet lead and then use the intel you gather against them during the first minute of and throughout your call. By the way, when salespeople, myself included, hear a term like big data or social selling, we usually tune out immediately and puke a little in our mouths. That sounds too much like C-suite jargon. So instead, I simply think of it as using big data to make big bucks. Salespeople like money, not data. But what I do know as a fact and why I personally use the following techniques to stock all my internet leads pre-pitch is when I hyper-personalize my sales pitch. I close more deals and make more money, period. So anytime I mention data, it is only as an enabler of me making more money on the phone. Ahead, you will learn exactly how how I quickly use social media, mostly Facebook, mobile apps, and Google searches to win the sale before it even starts. 
Thanks to the internet and social media is easier than ever to stock your sales prospects, gaining valuable insights that will easier, that will easier enable you to close them at the highest rate possible. Gathering Intel pre-pitch takes only a few seconds is a repeatable process. And most importantly, will impress the how your leads helping you close more sales. Don't think about what you will learn in this chapter as big data. Think of it as ammunition for your sales pitch, a bullet with your lead's name on it. The two-step pre-call lead stock. Let's say you have a sales call scheduled with me and you're hoping I will buy your product or service. My name is Chris Smith. Seriously, that is my real name. In fact, it might be one of the most common first slash last names combinations in U.S. history. So if you can learn how to gather intel on me, you can gather it on anyone. One thing to note here is that what leads provide on your various landing pages and website contact forms may vary greatly. At Quicken Loans, we have their name, phone number, email address, current interest rate, current home value, and current loan amount. This data was not always accurate, but it was critical for us to have in order to make the call immediately and still have some solid personalized talking points. As I covered in the intro, it is critical that you are set up to call leads as soon as they come in. When that is the case, you will not have time to talk to stock. It is more important to make contact quickly than it is to gather more intel before you dial. Thus, the importance of collecting more information up front on the landing page. At Fashion Rock, we had name, email, phone number, and what they hoped to become famous for. At Curator, we collect name, phone number, primary zip code, number of old sales per year, and average sales price. Even though it's common knowledge that you get fewer leads when you request more info on your form, each of these companies I've been a part of collected more than just name, phone, and email. It's not an accident, and this many successful companies probably aren't wrong. Why get that extra info when we know it will hurt? I have a hard time reading them. Why get that extra info when we know it will hurt our lead conversion rate? Because when our sales teams call, they have some solid talking points without doing any manual stocking whatsoever. Note, when I detail ahead, what I detail ahead is most ideal if you have an appointment on your calendar or calendar at a set date and time with an internet lead. When that is the case, I do what is ahead during the five-minute lead-up time I'm supposed to call them. Again, speed matters more than Intel, so never stock at at the sake of never stock at the sake of speed to respond. So I guess what he's trying to say there is call back first. This is better if it works on appointments, just as back ass word as possible. All right, back to the book. The entire purpose of your landing page and the stock I outline ahead is to gather two to four very specific data points or items of interest about the lead to use during the conversation. Our goal is to have a strong custom opening to our script like, hey, Susie, my name is Chris Smith, and I work for Quicken Loans. I was calling to follow up about your property at 123 Main Street. Looks like you currently have a 6% interest rate and a loan amount plus or minus 400000 Or, hey, Susie, my name is Chris, and I work for Curator. I was calling to follow up about your availability in 90210. I see here you have sold 150 homes last year at an average sales price of 500000 That's awesome. Congrats. Or, Susie, my name is Chris, and I work for Fashion Rock. I see here that you are looking to become a model and are in Charlotte, North Carolina. Or, hey, Susie, my name is Chris, and I work for Remax. I was calling about the home you found using Zillow over at Madison Street that is currently for sale, asking 525000 
In each of these examples, the bolded words are the unique data points I would have been that and would have been available to me the second the lead call came in. This is why a, why a script is so critical. When you're trying to call an internet lead within one second of them opting in and you want to sound competent, you need a plug and play approach like this. When you do not have more time to prepare for a pitch, you can do a, when you do have more time to prepare for a pitch, you can do a much more advanced variation. What I just explained. Here's exactly what I do before every sales pitch that is at a set time and date. Step one of a two-step lead stock. I always start with a Google search. However, I do not just search for the lead's name unless it is very unique. In my case, there are 3.7 million exact matches for Chris Smith when you Google it. None of the guys pictured in figure 8.1 are me, although I did always hope to play in the NBA one day. Instead, you're going to Google search the lead's email address by inserting chris at curator.com. Instead of Chris Smith, the results are reduced to 13,900 total. And now they're all about me in some capacity. You can see my, you can see Google found my company website with phone number plus my Facebook and LinkedIn profiles. Figure 8.2, both have a plethora of information about my career, interests, and family life. Think of the lead's email address as their online thumbprint or social security number. There may be millions of people with my name, but there are zero people with my exact email address. You should also use email addresses when searching for people on social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We all registered for those sites using our email address. So when you search by email, it finds one result, not tens of thousands. You should also do a quick Facebook search using the email address and or phone number. When you find a lead on Facebook, it immediately opens up a treasure chest of personal information about them that is highly empowering for me as a salesperson. Because this is inside sales, finding a lead on Facebook also helps me remember that it's still a person on the other end of the call. I even find it helps to look at their profile pic while I chat with them. Professional sales stocking tools. There are some pro tools you can use to stock your leads pre-pitch when a Google search is not enough or does not return the insights you need. Spokio, Intellis, Wink, Zabasearch, and PQU are all, all also provide big data that is super useful for salespeople. Many CRMs also enrich their leads profile automatically with big data. My favorite tool for stocking the stocking leads these days is an app called Charlie. Once you install it, it syncs with your computer, your calendar and provides an email alert or an email push notification to a data rich brief because Charlie syncs with my calendar. I automatically get a one pager about the lead 10 minutes before each of my sales calls are scheduled. Charlie will show you the person's interests and hobbies. The ones they grabbed for me are spot on coffee, basketball, house of cards, entrepreneurship, recent social updates, and Twitter connections in common. These data points become your talking points during the first minute of your call. Perfect icebreakers for emotionally connecting with your prospect about something other than what you want to sell them and getting them to take their guard down. Step two of the two-step lead stock. Based on what you found in step one, jot down two to four talking points or insights that prove you did your homework. Leads always appreciate this. So in my case, you could have started your call by saying, hey, Chris, it's Mr. Sales Guy from Company X. I saw a tweet you sent out yesterday about your Facebook groups and how Zillow actually made a change based on their influence. 
impressive stuff. I actually spent a few minutes in your and the group you created, and it looks like you have built a special community. Congrats. The reason I called is that I saw you were interested at one point in what we sell, and I want to talk to you more about it. This strategy works even better when the lead happens to be a blogger or has been featured recently by the press or on a website in some capacity. The more specific what you find is, the more specific your opening is. Hey, Chris, I just read an article about how you got your company curated over $3 million in annual recurring revenue in less than two years. It really inspired me. I also sell technology for company X and saw you inquired at one point about our services. Or, hey, Chris, I was reading an article you and your company curator were featured on an incorporated.com. Nice work. It is virtually impossible to say no to someone who does their homework and flatters you out of the gate, even in a sales pitch. No matter what level of success someone has achieved, we all like being told we are pretty before you try to kiss us. The first widget of the script should include the following. Your four custom bullets. Hey, blank. My name is blank. I work for blank. I'm calling to follow up about number one. Looks like you said two, three, and four. How are you today? These bullets will disarm the lead. Let them know you're a professional and make it crystal clear that they gave you their information. This is unguessable stuff and immediately separates you from other cold callers. Most salespeople start their calls like this. Hey, my name is Chris Smith and I'm calling from Curator. How are you? Or, hey, my name is Chris Smith and I'm calling from Curator. It's now a good time to chat. By inserting hyper-personalized data points into our script at the very beginning, before we let them speak and before we ask our first question, how are you, or is now a good time, or did I catch you at a bad time question, the person on the other end is much more inclined to hear you out. That being said, this is still an internet lead, not a referral from a friend or happy customer, so we need to have our guard up from the outset. After you have nailed your opening, next you need to gain psychological control over the caller. We need to begin the conditioning process, albeit subconsciously, so at the end of the call, when we say jump, bye, they will say, how high? Yes. How to gain control over the caller with one simple sentence. So, you just said something like this to start your call. Hey, Susie, my name is Chris, and I work for Remax. I was calling about the home you found using Zillow over on Madison Street that is currently asking 525000 How are you today? What you say next is critical, and it needs to be the same every single time. Once you find a gain control statement that works for you, trust me, you should just use the same one every time. Here it is. I need you to grab a pen and paper so I can give you some information that isn't available online. Let me know when you are ready. Or, can you please grab a pen and paper? I want to give you my personal contact information in case we get disconnected. Interesting. I do talk about controlling the conversation. I haven't thought about it like this, though. See, that's why you read books, man. There are people who just think about this shit all the time, right? Or I have some information that you are going to want to jot down. Can you please grab a pen and paper and let me know when you're ready? Then once they are ready, say, great, my cell number is blah, 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 and my email address is chris at curator.com. Notice the common element. element. By giving them an order to do something physical and them doing it, it makes, you, makes me slash you the alpha. Will some people pretend to grab a pen and paper or be driving and unable to? Sure. But the people who will actually buy something will be willing to grab the pen and paper 95% of the time. 
If they are generally driving, just say, no problem. I'll email it over to you after our call and move on to the next step. A professional salesperson controls the call at every turn, none of which are more important than opening the call relationship with the lead. Remember the tone. Remember the tone matters a ton on the phone, so be very nice, but also be assertive when you ask them to do this. Think of it this way. If they won't grab a pen and paper and write a few things down, will they give you the credit, their credit card 20 minutes later? This technique of gaining control not only empowers you over those who will buy, but also helps identify the more serious leads within seconds of the call starting. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. After they write down the information you give them, the next sentence is pretty simple. Tell me the primary reason why you inquired about X. The challenge is that everyone says some variation of no immediately. Leads and people are conditioned to put up a brick wall, especially when a salesperson calls us. Our job in sales is to knock the brick wall down so that we'll have a normal human conversation with us. What I have learned is that no matter what you sell, during the first minute of the call with an internet lead, they will say something like the following. At Quicken, they would just say, I just want to know what the interest rates are. At Fashion Rock, they would always say, I just want to learn more about how it works. At Curator, they always say, I just want to learn how much it costs and if it's available in my area. What they are really saying is, I don't want to be sold. I just want to learn more before I might buy. The nice thing is that it's usually very easy to identify the brick wall statements that your leads will make day in and day out. Once you know them, the last step and the perfect first minute of a sales call is to use a technique called ARPing. ARPing stands for acknowledge, respond, and pivot. Here is how you would acknowledge in each of these cases. I just want to know what the interest rate, what the interest rates are. You just want to know what the interest rates are. No problem. I just want to learn more about how it works. Acknowledge. You just want to learn more about how it works. No problem. I just want to learn about how much it costs and is available in my area. Acknowledge. You just want to know more about no. You just want to know how much we charge and we if we're available in your area. No problem. The acknowledgement lets them know with 100% certainty that you heard them. Remember, physiology is the is the number one way that humans communicate. And we don't have the luxury over the phone where people are, where normally, where normally as someone would ask you a question, you would look at them and nod along. So they know you're listening and understood on the phone. The acknowledgement is the equivalent of a head nod. It also buys you a moment to think about what you will say next, the response. Thankfully, your responses will almost always be the same because you will identify responses that are comfortable for you to say that work. Here is how you would respond in each of the foregoing cases. I just want to know what the rates are. Acknowledge. You just want to know what the rates are. No problem. Respond. The rates are currently at historical lows, and most people I speak with are saving a ton of money. I just want to learn more how it works. Acknowledge. You just want to learn more how it works. No problem. The way the event works is that we put you in front of the best talent scouts in the world. I just want to know how much it costs and if it's available in my area. Acknowledge. You just want to know how much we charge and if we're available. No problem. I will cover. I will cover. I will cover pricing once I feel like we can truly help you. As you can see, with each response, I'm keeping it very simple and straightforward. But I'm also never really answering their question too specifically. Remember, I'm in charge, not them. 
We talk about what I want to talk about when I want to talk about it, or I lose and they win. If your response were the rate is 6% or we charge $12.75 a month, you will find that it will be a very quick call. The last step is to pivot the conversation to where you want it. I just want to know what the interest rates are. Acknowledge. You just want to know what the interest rates were. No problem. The rates are currently historical lows, and most of the people I speak with are saving a ton of money. Pivot. How long have you owned your own home? Acknowledge. We just want to learn more about how it works. No problem. Respond. The way the event works is we put you in front of the best talent scouts in the world. Have you done any acting, modeling, singing yet at a local level? I just want to know how much it costs if it'll be available in my area. Acknowledge. You just want to know how much we charge if we are available. No problem. I will cover pricing once I feel I can truly help you. How long have you been a real estate agent? The pivot gets the conversation back to where we want it. It also leads us to the next part of the code, how to build rapport with an internet lead by asking the right questions. The pivot question is the first in a series of questions that we will ask the lead in an effort to dig deep, build serious rapport, and close them more easily. Chapter nine, the digging deep technique, questions to ask that make it impossible for an internet lead to say no. Did you know that 35 to 50% of internet leads choose the first person they talk to? That stat is sure to get salespeople and companies excited about being faster to respond and executing what I covered in section two. You don't have to even be the best as long as you are the first. But what if you are first and best? The inside sales mecca is quality leads plus instant speed to response plus increasing talk time to by using proven framework for your conversation on the phone. Remember, gaining control and ARPing typically both happen in just the first 30 seconds. Having what I refer to as a meaningful conversation is a key to the conversation. Across the ventures I have been involved with and the range of product services and price points I have sold, I would estimate the average length of the calls where I closed the sale was 40 minutes. At Quicken, a perfect call for me was between 20 and 25 minutes. At Fashion Rock, it was between 30 to 40 minutes. At Curator, it was between 45 and 60 minutes. Being able to identify these windows of time that typically pass before you can close and get paid matters. Going into a sales call knowing that if this doesn't get go 20 plus minutes, I don't make a sale. will change the way you approach every call. This was something I learned a long time ago while working at Quicken Loans. Quicken was so advanced with their technology in the mid-2000s that some guy would wake up in the morning, he'd go to yahoo.com with a goal of reading the financial news, he'd see an ad to get today's mortgage rates, he'd click, put in a little info, then a little bit more, and then Quicken, one of their lead providers like lowermybills.com, would capture him. I'd be on the phone with him less than 30 seconds later. People were equal parts impressed and freaked out. What Quicken knew that most people didn't want to talk to multiple mortgage bankers, salespeople, if they didn't have to. It was then that I realized how easy the magical formula was. Be the first and talk to them the longest. Do you really think people want to talk to two mortgage bankers or two realtors or two vacation salesmen? They don't even want to talk to one. We'd also get some of our leads from LendingTree. The whole point of Lending Tree is that five or six people are going to be calling you to compete for your business. Well, if I know Wells Fargo and Bank of America and everybody else is getting the same lead as me, I have to respond as quickly 
I have to respond quickly and I have to have a long talk time because while I may not always have the lowest interest rate or closing costs, do you really want to go through a 30 to 45 minute loan application, have me pull your credit and then just hang up, start the whole process over with another sales guy? Probably not, especially if I built rapport with you by digging deep. So yes, you have to be the first, but you also have to be the best at increasing talk time and having meaningful conversations. If you're not ARPing or just giving them the rate they were looking for, they're probably hanging up in two minutes and answering a call from the next company. If you can master the first 60 seconds and then start digging deep, you can take 35 to 50% success rate of people just going with you because you were first up to 80 to 90% going with you because you were first and you were great. Closing this gap can lead to immediate exponential growth. The digging deep technique talk time is best increased and most valuable when used to dig deep with your leads. When I do sales coaching, salespeople who are struggling always say the same thing. Chris, I just can't close. How do I close? Will you listen to how I'm closing? You have to realize and be self-aware that you already won or lost the sale before you close, well before you closed. If you can't close, it probably it's probably because you can't dig deep. It's probably because you weren't gaining control of the conversation and using a proven framework and script that works every time. Please write this down and put it where you can see it clearly as you call your leads each day. Dig deep or go to sleep. That was in my cubicle every single day when I was making sales calls for Quicken. Because I knew if I didn't dig deep and build a rapport with this person, they weren't going to do alone with me. You want to script about four to six qualifying questions that you can use on every call. But the money is made by asking the questions that aren't scripted. The digging deep questions. Most of the scripted questions you will use are really just qualifying questions and conversation starters. While the best qualifying questions are specific to what you sell, there are certainly some stock questions that any salesperson or company can use to get started. How long have you been purchasing blank? Have you ever purchased anything like blank before? Why is now the right time for you to consider buying blank? How did you hear about blank? For a real estate agent, the scripted question might be, what is the number one reason you are moving right now? How many homes have you sold before? Have you ever worked with a real estate agent before? What was the one thing your agent, uh, your last agent did that bothered you the most? Uh, what is the ideal time frame uh, for selling your home? That's all good questions. As they answer each one, act like a four-year-old and simply ask more questions. How long have you been researching blank? Wow, you've been researching for six months. That is a long time. What websites have been using the most to do your homework? Oh, you like website X the most? Have you tried any mobile apps as well? Have you ever purchased anything like blank before? You have? Nice. Did you have a good experience? No. What would be one thing they could have done better? Why is now the right time for you to consider buying X? Oh, you have your wife and are expecting your first child? Is it a boy or girl? Is this your first child? How did you hear about blank? You Googled us? Nice. That happens a lot. What did you think of our website? You liked it? Sweet. It's important that you work. It's a, it is important that you work with a tech savvy company. If you're not asking digging deep questions, you cannot close at the end of the call. You really want to hone in on their emotional and logical reasons for buying. 
In fact, you want to literally write down their answers to the questions you ask, both scripted and unscripted. We are going to use their responses later in our call to make it virtually impossible for them to say no when we close them. Their answers will be used during the five yes technique in chapter 12. Digging deep seems like something that salespeople would do naturally, but they don't. I would shadow calls at Quicken Loans and the lead would get on the phone and say, hey, I just want to get your home. Hey, I want to get a home equity line of credit for $50,000. And the banker on the phone would be great. I can help you with that. What are you going to use the money for? That's their version of digging deep. The lead would reply, oh, we want to build a deck on the back of the house. And the banker would say, great, I can help you with that. What is your current, who's your current loan with? They were an order taker, not a salesperson. Here's what digging deep really looks like using the same example. You're building a $50,000 deck. Wow. Tell me about it. Is this thing going to have two levels and elevators in it? Why the heck are you spending $50,000 on a deck? Is it platinum? Does it cook the food for you when you have barbecues? The best salespeople are listening, taking notes, and have a genuine interest in their prospect's situation. They're not just waiting for the other person to stop talking. If you don't listen, you can't dig deep. If you can't dig deep, you can't close. I've personally just always genuinely been interested in people and why they make the choices they make. Actually, this is not a book. I has been too. Um, it's actually, I used, I sometimes, well, I don't know. I was kind of make fun of people like, what? You didn't ask that question. It's actually one of the reasons why I started a podcast is when I realized that not everybody asked the questions I asked or was interested as I was in people. So I get where he's coming from with that. I'm just interested in people and what they're doing and how they're doing, especially anybody who's doing something at a high level, right? I don't even care what it is. I'm going to be interested in what that person's doing. So, all right, back to the book. That was a little rant there. Um, so with my approach, I come back and say, oh, no, Chris, it, it won't have an elevator be platinum. We actually have a lot of people over all the time when we love to have birthday parties at our house. We're at a point where my husband got a raise at work so we can finally build a dream deck we've waited so long for. How different is that? Now, there's some rapport. Now I have some ammunition that is meaningful when we get further into the call and I close her. By digging deep, I am identifying the emotional reason for what they want to buy. And at the end of the call, I will make them say no to those emotional reasons for buying, not to me. That's a much harder pitch to say no to. You have to dig deep so that when you go to close, you have the ammo for the five yeses. I'll get the technique in depth on page 127, but the idea is we would, we would be recapping the answers to their digging deep questions to start our sales pitch. So you want a line of credit because you're building a deck, right? Yes. You're going to have the family over a lot, right? Yes. Your husband got a raise, right? Yes. You love to do barbecues, right? Yes. You won't know what to say to start your close at the end of your calls if you don't dig deep at the beginning. Successfully digging deep means you can already start thinking about how it's going to help you close later. 90% of your competition is going to pitch their brand and product during the first part of their call. You instead will focus the first part of the call on them to crack the conversion code. Be prepared to ask specific qualifying questions and listen. If you're not willing to care and ask why, and then ask why again, you will never be an elite closer. Once you realize there's rapport and you've dug deep enough, the next question is to build trust in your company. The next step is to build trust in your company. 
All right. What time are we at? We got time. Chapter 10. How to build trust with an internet lead in two simple steps. Now that I have gained control over the caller, arped around any early brick wall statements and dug deep so we truly know why they are buying, it is time for us to build trust. Building trust requires more than simply building rapport while you dig deep. It is one level of success over the phone. You get someone to like and trust you. It is another to get them to buy from you, especially when others may also be buying for their business simultaneously. When it comes to building trust with internet leads, I find that keeping it simple and focused works best. In fact, I have identified only two things you need to say in order to build trust and move on to the next part of the call. The two steps that most quickly build trust with internet lead are co-branding, who can you align your brand with that consumers already trust? Statistics. How can you convey numerically what they're numerically that you are the clear choice to work with? In the real world, I've used this approach time and time again with success. Here are a few examples of how I have seen co-branding plus powerful stat inserted into cell script. At Curator, we manage several million dollars per year in Facebook ads, co-brand, and our average client makes $500,000 per year. At Fashion Rock, our founder discovered Britney Spears, NSYNC, and the Backstreet Boys, so more than 65,000 people apply to attend our event each year. One plus one equals trust. At Quicken Loans, our founder also owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, co-brand, and we are the largest online leader in the United States, online lender in the United States, stat. As you may have noticed, these co-brand plays and stats are simple and to the point. This is why they work. In most sales scripts, and when I listen to salespeople try to build trust, inevitably they try so hard they end up sounding like a scam. Remember, at this point in the call, you have gained control, arping, and dug deep. The digging deep section is especially important as a transition to building trust. You just listen to them intently, so in some ways they owe you one. While you have their earned attention for a moment, don't lose it. Keep it short, sweet, and to the point while building trust with the internet leads so you can continue through the call frictionlessly. Chapter 11, Proactively Uncovering Objections. One of the worst feelings in sales is getting to the end of an amazing pitch, fully expecting the person to buy, and then getting blindsided by an objection that you didn't foresee, like... Thanks so much for your time, Chris, but I need to think about it. In the conversion code, the time to get objections is not when you are closing. It's actually before you ever even begin your pitch. Most salespeople focus on practice overcoming objections. I focus on eliminating them early. A very common objection in sales is that when the person wants to wait and think about it, or a very common objection sales is the person wants to wait and think about it. There are other common objections too, like the spousal. I need to talk to my spouse before moving forward or the cost objection. I want to buy, but I can't afford it right now. Heck, I've even heard I need to pray about it as an objection. The nice thing is that any company, these objections will start to define themselves. You probably already know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. What are they for you? I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. The number one, three wholesale objections I, I'm going to get. Are you ready for this? I'm not going to give it away. So it's a price objection, right? Even if you haven't got to a price, I'm not going to give it away. Um, 
I need to think about it. I get that one a lot. And I need to talk it over with my spouse or partner. Those are the three number ones. So there you go. Um, Every salesperson proactively uncover these objections well before they ever get to them, as opposed to being told that someone can't afford or commit to what you sell at the end of 30 to 45 minutes. We're going to ask people if there's any reason they can't move forward today now. In fact, there's no better time to absorb the blow of possible objections than directly following when you've built rapport by digging deep and established trust. Think of it as a quick window where you got them to the, let their guard down. The following statement is all you need to say to proactively uncover objections. If we are able to accomplish your goals and you agree everything makes sense, is there any reason you wouldn't be able to move forward today? That's great. If you sell something pricey with a longer uh, sales cycle, just say this week, this month, or this quarter instead of today. P-U-O. Typically, someone is going to buy from you is going to have a very simple answer. No. If we accomplish their goal and everything makes sense, why wouldn't they be ready to move forward? You will also find this question will bring objections out so you can discuss them now, not later, when you're trying to close. If they say yes, I never make a decision without talking to my wife first. Now I know that I I can at least address that. I can ask if we can get the wife on the call too. I can ask if they're typically on the same page when it comes to getting things getting things like this by asking, if we did call your wife and told her you were going you were doing X, do you think she'd be on board? Or even when applicable we do have a 30-day money-back offer, so just in case she's not on board, you can still address that without getting the getting without getting in the doghouse. Sorry, I have a hard time reading them. As for the cost objection, you'd much rather them jump to a price now than complain about the price later. Well, how much is it? I can't move forward today if I can't afford it. If they ask that, don't get discouraged. This is a buying question. They're visualizing themselves buying and using your product or service. In the real world, outside sales, you'd be foolish to give the price before you pitched. If you were speaking in front of a crowd and someone stood up to ask, how much is this? You wouldn't answer that question. You'd 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 sidestep it and continue, letting them know that you'll get to the price at the end. But this is an internet lead that is a click away from blowing us off at all times, and we haven't even pitched yet. So you don't want to give them exactly how much it costs, but you want to give them a ballpark idea. If they are insistent about knowing your price early, you can still sidestep the question by by stating, our packages start around X, or our monthly packages are typically between this and this. Is that way out of your budget? In some ways, this is the first close. You should get as excited about them saying, no, I don't have any objections about moving forward at this midway point in the call as you do about them saying, yes, I want to buy when you sell at the end of the call. Again, in most cases, if you've done everything up until now correctly, you will find most people that are more people that are not willing to sweep their objections under the rug and tell you they won't bring them up later. This is a very this is very empowering to hear as a salesperson. Now, when you get to the real close later, this is a human who has told another human that if it makes sense, they'll pull the trigger. It's very difficult for them to, to go back on literally saying no, if everything makes sense, nothing should stop us from moving forward. 
think of objections as people robbing you of the money you know you deserve to make. Or think about it another way. You've got to disarm the alarm, uncover objections before you go inside the house to close if you don't want to wake up with the no monster. Just like with building trust, proactively uncovering objections is not meant to be a long part of the conversation. You will already know by this point in the call if what you're going to pitch makes sense for them. If we're going to accomplish your goals and make you agree everything makes sense. Is there any reason you wouldn't be able to move forward today? And you agree that everything makes sense. Is there any reason you wouldn't move forward today? Is a question I call built for sales. You are taking advantage of the rapport and trust you have just built thus far and get a quick, I promise you not to give an objection at the end from the lead. With any possible objections out of the way, I have some very exciting news for you. Enough about them. It's finally time to start our sales pitch. How long do I want to go? I am going to end it here. We're going to end on page 126 because I don't have enough to, I don't think I can get the rest of it done in the next 30 minutes. So yeah, I'm going to push this one more. All right. So we're going to stop on page 126 and I apologize. I am having a hell of a time reading this. I don't get as styled. And if you're reading along with me, it's a simply formatted book. And I just, I don't think we're clicking, man. It's great information though. Like I'm, I'm going through my website right now and implementing some of these things he's talking about, but um, a little bit of a challenge for me to read. So where are you guys at? So we're going to stop. What'd you highlight? I'm not going to go back and read the highlights. This is too technical. I feel like this is just a sales manual or, or like a marketing sales manual anyway. Maybe I'll change my mind when I get to the end and do like an abbreviated um, list or something. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because so much of it is actionable. I'm not sure what to do. That's all right. Hey, do you enjoy this podcast? Are you having a good time? Do you like listening to angry Jeremy read and stutter over himself? Or he tries to read Chris Smith. If you do like that kind of happenstance, why don't you go rate and review on iTunes, man? Hook a brother up. Also share this podcast everywhere. Share this podcast everywhere. We want it everywhere. A ton of you are doing it. Thank you for those who I, I haven't thanked. I try and thank everybody when I see it. If I haven't, thank you. I really am sorry. I do really appreciate it. And it's because of you guys that we're growing the podcast. So keep it up. Thank you very much. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And you go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know I do this every week. How about you do it? How about you do it? Come on, folks. Um, if you want to start wholesaling, I have a six part series on wholesaling. Go look it up. It's free. Cost you nothing. Pick some goals. Stick with it. Do something every day. gets you closer. Even if it's one step. I do want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. I know you can be doing lots of other things right now. Until the next podcast, crush it.